Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. of John chapter 4 verses 7 to 18. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you know now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Please welcome Dave to the stage. Uh, Thank you, Jen. Good morning, everybody. Great to uh, be at the second Christchurch London service of the day. Uh, The South was full of beans, I can report this morning, and it was wonderful to hear some of the stories they were telling of people who've received prayer in recent weeks and have consequently had um, some very significant physical healing, people who've come in uh, aching or sick in different ways and left fully recovered. And uh, so it was wonderful to hear that. It just uh, gives me an opportunity to underline the opportunity that we all have at the end of this morning to uh, receive prayer if we'd like to. I received prayer uh, at the impaired evening that we did recently just by Oxford Circus on the Wednesday evening. I have damaged the inner meniscus in my right knee, which for uh, those of us that are laymen out there means basically the shock absorber in the knee. I did this about 16 months ago. I've seen doctors, I've seen physiotherapists, I've seen doctors and I've seen physiotherapists, I've had MRI scans, all sorts of other things. And essentially last time I saw somebody, they said there's nothing more we can do for you, get used to it. Well, I wasn't inclined to get used to it uh, unless I felt, you know, unless I really had to. So at the impaired evening, I asked Lars to pray for me. It was a wonderful experience receiving prayer and uh, one in which I was acutely aware of God's presence and was therefore, to be honest, a little disappointed when at the end of the evening, I found that there was still discomfort in my knee. It wasn't though until about, uh, till, I don't know, maybe the middle of this week that I realized that since that time, I had not had any pain in my knee at all. And uh, so I was absolutely thrilled about that. I see that as a direct answer to prayer. Uh, just um, to uh, give a full report, I did uh, try and run on my knee yesterday and uh, wished I had not. So we have... <laughs> We have some substantial progress, I can report, and I see it at least as a direct answer to prayer. We're not fully there, but nonetheless, as a largely satisfied customer, I thought I should report back to you uh, that uh, it is really worth getting prayer and there'll be an opportunity at the end of this morning's service. Uh, We're just three weeks now into a series on encounters with Jesus. Uh, 
And we're going through John's gospel looking at, the, at what happened when different individuals met Jesus and the way in which he changed things for them. Now we've had some great feedback from the start of this sermon series. People have really appreciated what's been said. And I am personally excited about this series partly because it gives me an opportunity to preach two sermons or take two subjects that I've been really wanting to take for some time. The first of those subjects, which I'll do in a few weeks' time, is why is Christianity necessary for the world in which we live? This world full of huge problems and challenges and shifting of tectonic plates. What is the role of Christianity and why can it make such a difference? I mean, clearly there's a lot of confusion at the moment. After the attack on Westminster 10 days or so ago, social me- a lot of people on social media were using the hashtag Pray for London. Well, I noticed somebody whose response to that hashtag was, No, don't! And their their thing was, after all, it's religion that's got us into this mess in the first place. Now, in my mind, what that individual has done has mixed two things together inaccurately. They've conflated toxic faith and authentic faith. And they're very, very different things. And we can really do without toxic faith, but authentic faith and Christ-following faith can and should and does make a huge difference to the world And we'll talk about that in a few weeks' time. What I want to talk about this morning, or the question that I want to ask, is does Christianity meet the deepest needs of every individual? Does Christianity meet the deepest needs of every individual? Every man, woman, and child that's ever been born wants to live the good life. To what degree does Christianity answer that challenge? And I want to answer that question by looking this morning at the story that Jen just read us, the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. But before we look at the story, I want to check the question, because the answers that you get do depend on the questions that you ask. So it's worth us checking, is this a good question to ask? Does Christianity meet your and my deepest needs? Because I think some people would object to the question. I mean, some people would say, uh, it's a weak question. I mean, if we focus on the problems that we've got and the things that we need, we'll just end up depressed. We should focus on the opportunities that we have and the strengths that we have. Well, whilst I understand the sentiment to that, actually Christianity is unashamed to talk about our needs. Not only is Christianity unashamed, but actually the greatest experts, psychological experts of the last century were the same. One very well-known example is Abraham Maslow. Abraham Maslow's basic point was this. You'll never contribute in the way that you want unless your basic needs are met. He said if somebody wants to make friends but they don't feel safe going out on the streets, then they'll never make friends because your basic, more basic need is security before friendship. So unless you feel secure and safe on the street, you'll never make it down the road to make a friend. For any of you that are sports people here, if you are asked to compete but told there'll be no food or drink beforehand, you probably will say, well, I can't compete. At least I can't compete well because my more basic needs, food and water, need to be met before my other need of competition kicks in. Abraham Maslow said, have your deepest needs met and then contribute. And Jesus was, as I've said, unashamed to talk about our needs. For the weary, he said, come to me and I'll give you rest. For the anxious, he said, my father, my heavenly father knows everything you're worried about. He knows every hair on your head. Do not be anxious. For the times in which we needed to get things done, we find that the Christian faith says, I can do all things 
through Christ who strengthens me. So I don't think that this is a weak question at all. I think it's actually a question that understands the basic wiring and makeup that we have as human beings. It's a wise question. It's a sensible question. It's an important question. Well, others may come back and say, no, hang on. This is a foolish question. The cynic or the skeptic at least might say, this is a foolish question because after all, really, David, we are just random creatures in a random universe. You should just be grateful with what you've got. Don't go looking for faith to add anything else. But I would want to challenge the skeptic who said that. And I want to challenge him with the words of C.S. Lewis, the great Christian apologetic and Oxford professor of the last century. And the point that C.S. Lewis basically made was this. He said that wired into the universe is that sense that for every desire that we have, there is satisfaction available. I'm going to read it to you. He puts it better than I would or I could. He says this, creatures are not born with desire, desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world and by extension that therefore that other world can meet those needs that nothing in this world can meet. And bear in mind, this isn't just the opinion of an Oxford Don of the last century. There are millions upon millions of men and women all around the globe today who would say exactly the same and that their experience was the same. So I don't think it's a weak question. I don't think it's a foolish question. I think it's penetrating. It gets to the heart of human existence. Some others might just complain and say it's a confused question. You're looking in the wrong place. Surely Christianity's been tried. Let's look at something a little more modern. Let's look at atheism. Maybe that's got the answers. Well, we have not got time to do a full critique of atheism and look at Jesus and the Samaritan woman this morning. But let's just spend a second, a snapshot, on the founders of these two ways of living and thinking. Frederick Nietzsche was the father of modern-day atheism. He... Uh, pronounced God is dead at the end of the 19th century. He lived his life and actually died of syphilis, which turned him mad, which he contracted from a prostitute. You can find his body now buried in a grave in Leipzig. Jesus Christ, of course, was the founder of Christianity. Jesus Christ, however, lived and loved to the end. Even on the cross, he was busy forgiving his enemies and making sure that his mother had everything that she needed. His grave was that of Joseph of Arimathea, but you can't find it now. At least you can't find the body because his followers say that he was raised from the dead and he's been transforming women and men's lives ever since. I don't think that atheism has in any way won the day. I think Christianity is still to be considered. Others would say, well, maybe not atheism, but at least materialism. Maybe we can stick with just what we can feel and touch and smell and taste as real. That's, after all, what we can be sure of. But if that were the case, and if materialism were to win the day, then actually the communist ideology of the last century, which dominated much of the world and millions upon millions of people's lives, would surely have put an end to Christianity, for it made the Christian faith illegal. 
And yet, even under those totalitarian regimes, people would risk their lives to read the Bible, to pray, and to meet together. Why on earth would they do that? Unless you and I are made for something more than the material. It is not that the material is bad, it's to be enjoyed, but it's not all that there is. And when the lid was lifted off or the blanket was peeled back from communist China, rather than finding a handful of believers, we find a strong and vibrant church that some experts now reckon has 100 million attenders every week. Materialism, rather than robbing Christianity of its faith and life, seems to do the very opposite. Others have thought that progress would be a better place to focus. David, to meet all our needs, let's think, not Christianity, let's think progress. I mean, after all, the world is becoming healthier and wealthier over time. Surely we should focus on education and good government and business. And if we invest there, then that arc of improvement will continue. Well, there is some truth in that, and there have been many improvements which we can enjoy and be grateful for, but there is one problem that that we have not solved with progress, and that is the problem of your and my heart. I don't know whether you saw the news before you came out this morning or checked it last night. I checked it before I went to bed. There was still war in the Middle East. There was an asylum seeker who had been beaten up by eight individuals in Croydon, left with a blood clot and a cracked skull. There were eight men that had been arrested in Oxford involved with organized crime and child sexual abuse. It's hard to decide, it's hard to conclude that man's heart is getting better. Progress has given me an iPhone and projection when I preach, but it hasn't changed my heart. I am with George Bernard Shaw, who said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and not tried. And I want to suggest this morning that there's no worldview, no faith more relevant to consider than the Christian faith. And I want to suggest that it is the Christian faith that meets our deepest needs better, more fundamentally and more deeply than any other. So let's go to the story. The story of Jesus sitting by a well at the height of the day. If you've been in the Middle East, you will know what the height of the day is like. I mean, it is seriously hot. You will not experience it here in London this summer. That is not prophecy. That's just how it is. But if you're in Israel and it is midday, then it is seriously, seriously hot. And Jesus is sitting by the well and the, well and the Samaritan woman, the ethnic outcast of the day. We know about ethnic outcasts in this world. The ethnic outcast of the day, the Samaritan woman, comes to him and he breaks every piece of social protocol going. Don't you love him? And he starts talking to her. And be aware that this is not just an ethnic issue going on here, it's also a gender issue. For rabbis don't talk to women, and women in that day and age were not to be taken seriously. At least that's what the law court said. They would not accept the testimony of a woman in court, which is why it's so amazing that the first person that Jesus went to revealed himself to was a woman who then turned and she told the disciples. One of the greatest affirmations of women in the the Gospels. So Jesus is 
stepping all over social protocol here, ethnic, gender, and he's saying, oh, give me a drink. I'm not sure that that was really his prime motive. In fact, as the story goes on, it's evident it wasn't his prime motive. His prime motive was actually to talk about more fundamental things. Because she basically said, what are you doing talking to me? And he changes the subject. And he says, well, if you were to ask me for water. But it's not just water, it's life-giving water. And it becomes evident as the conversation goes on. Jesus is not doing like for like. She can get water out of the well. He's offering something entirely different. Life-giving water, which once you've taken it, resides inside you like a well. Water. Water's interesting stuff, isn't it? I actually uh, asked Elise, who helps me in the office this week, I said, Go and f- can you f- work out the science of water? I've never been good on the science side. So, you know, go and just do some Google and, and give me the science of water so I can tell everyone today. So she comes out, I say, so, how's the science? She said, I've done the research, it's just made me want to drink way more water than before. So I'm going to save you the science, but you just need to know. You can Google that afterwards, but you need water. Of course you do. We all need water. 48 hours without water, you're in trouble. 72 hours without water, and you're probably no longer here. It's not that we're aware of its sustaining power the whole time. Most of the time, we're unaware of it. But it works in the background, and it gives us life. There are times, of course, where it's not background. Water is foreground in our mind. Water can be, and experiences of water can be uh, exciting and enticing and huge fun. When our children were younger, we used to each summer holiday on the continent and we'd do this sort of the camping holidays. You know, you'd arrive, the tent was already up, thank the Lord, it was already up, and, uh, and then there'd be a swimming pool and various other things. And sometime between uh, the start of the drive and getting to the campsite, the conversation would turn to, what are we going to do when we arrive? You, you know, you've had that conversation, many of you, or you've been in the car when you've had that conversation. First thing we can do, mum and dad can unpack we're going to the pool. And there's nothing like that experience, is there, when you are hot and sticky and that first leap into the pool. Just that, it's not just science at that point in time. It just feels great. When you're parched, when you're parched uh, and uh, deeply thirsty, to be offered ice-cold water is an experience. Oh, wow. When you've been doing sport and then just to put water over your head. and It's a refreshing moment. So water is both sustaining, but it is also, it's more than sustaining. There are times in the spiritual life. It sustains in the background the whole time. You need it. You want a spiritual life. You've got to have spiritual life-giving water. But there are also, there are moments where it's more than that. It's exhilarating. It's wonderful. It also brings every part of your life to life. One of my favorite places in the world is the veranda of good friends of ours here at Christ Church London, John and Carol Willison. For many years, they led, a, they led a church in Kampala, and I used to love to sit on the veranda and look out over Kampala. I remember arriving one time, and the view was a little brown and arid. You could tell there had not been a lot of rain. Later in the visit, we had just about an hour of deluge. And after that, the view looked entirely different. The colours were more vibrant than they had been before. 
The grass looked lush rather than brown at the edges. The plants seemed to be standing straighter. Everything had come to life. Now, when you draw on life-giving water, exactly the same happens in your life over time. Sometimes you get a deluge and it all comes to life. More often, there is just gradual, steady hydration and everything comes to life. If you are aware this morning that parts of your life are a little brown and arid and dry, if you're aware that the... if you'll go with the metaphor, the, the grass of your life is not as lush as it should be, then you need life-giving water. That is what Jesus is offering here to the Samaritan woman. So how does this life-giving water then meet our deepest needs, our most basic needs as human beings? And I want to suggest just three different needs we could, if we had time, we could take six or we could take ten. We're just going to take three right now and very briefly show how they are each met by life-giving water. To be loved is the most, I think, the most fundamental need that we all have. We're all familiar with the saying that on your deathbed, you will not be thinking, I wish I'd spent more hours in the office. We're all, everyone asks at that point in time, how did I do with those that I loved the most? People will stay alive until they have seen people to put their lives right or to connect with those they love before dying on many, many occasions. And it's as if at the time where our life is the most vulnerable, our heart tells us the most important truth, that our life is all about the relationships that we have. Relationships and being loved are so important, it doesn't just affect the inner man, it affects our bodies as well. The well-known author Jonathan Haidt, based in New York, said this. He said, strong social relationships, having them, strengthens the immune system, extends life more than quitting smoking does, speeds recovery from surgery, and reduces the risk of depression and anxiety orders. Being loved is a huge deal for us. And if it's a huge deal for you and me, it was certainly a huge deal for this Samaritan woman. How many relationships had she had? How many husbands? I hear this roar of five. <laughs> she's had five husbands and we're told she's now with another guy. Now we don't know what happened. We don't know whether they just all died. We don't know whether she killed them. We don't know whether she had had a mixture of losing husbands through disease and some broken relationships. It doesn't really matter. I just, anyone who has being close to and then lost five is going to be carrying a huge amount of grief and brokenness. Huge amount. So we all need to be loved. She seriously needed to know love at that point in time. Not only that, but rabbis taught at the time, you can marry three times, but after that you shouldn't do so. So five times, she was not, she was so, she, her need for relationship drove her past social stigma. It's probable that she was coming out to the well at the height of the day so she wouldn't meet anybody. So what is life-giving water in this situation? What is life-giving water for those that need to be loved? I would suggest it's this. Firstly, it is to be loved by God and then given the opportunity to begin again with others. It's to be loved by God and then to begin again with others. 
I've often read half of a quote by Victor Hugo. I've never done, read the full quote, which I want to do now, because it sums this up perfectly. Victor Hugo, who wrote Les Mis, said this, the greatest happiness of life is the conviction we are loved. That's the bit I've often quoted. Here's the bit I haven't done. Loved for ourselves, or rather loved in spite of ourselves. I think that's so true, and there's only one person who ever has loved us completely in spite of ourselves, and that is Jesus Christ. It's not that the Samaritan woman fully understood that. She didn't understand Jesus was going to go and die for her. She just knew that there was this man who seemed to know so much and accept her, and he had this enticing offer of life-giving water. She didn't know what we know that he was going to go and die in order that we would know that we are loved in spite of ourselves. Zechariah, the Old Testament prophet, puts it like this, as Eugene Peterson translates it from the message. He says, on that, be on the big day. Don't you like to think of the crucifixion? Good Friday just coming up as the big day. On the big day. That's why we celebrate Easter. A fountain will be opened by the family of David for washing away their sins, for scrubbing their stained and soiled lives clean. If you, in your, the deepest recesses of your heart, know that there is some scrubbing from stained and, and there's a soiled life that needs to be made clean, you're in just the right place this morning. You're in just the right place. If you, in the deepest secrets of your life, know that you need to know you're loved in spite of yourself, you've come to just the right source for life-giving water. It is Jesus Christ. To know I am loved by God and that gives me to a fresh start with others as well. Our first and greatest need, I believe, is to be loved. Second need that all humans, all men and women experience is the desire to be satisfied. The desire to be satisfied. We've already seen how this woman was prepared to forego or to live with social stigma in order to find satisfaction in relationships. And yet C.S. Lewis reminds us again. He says that there is actually nothing on this earth that will fully satisfy. Just, I'll read this along. It's quite a long quote. It's worth you following. Uh, it's worth it. C.S. Lewis said this, Most people, if they'd really learned to look into their hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country or first take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage, no travel and no learning can in the end really satisfy. He goes on, I'm not now speaking of what would ordinarily be called unsuccessful marriages or holidays or learned careers. I'm speaking of the best possible ones. There was, some, this, there was something we grasped at in the first moment of longing, which just seems to fade away in the reality. I think everyone knows what I mean. The wife or the husband may be a good spouse. The hotels and the scenery may have been excellent. And chemistry may be a very interesting job. But something has evaded us. You know what he's doing essentially is saying there is a God-shaped hole in us all. And although we will sometimes try and fill that with all sorts of other wonderful things, and there are many wonderful things available in life, none of them will do the job that God is meant for. 
Maybe we can have this picture of David Foster Wallace up, but no need for the quote. David Foster Wallace is not a Christian uh, and has actually died now, but he was a writer and speaker. And uh, many people hung on every word that he said. He said, look, we're all worshippers. We all want something to worship. But he said, be very, very careful. Because, he said, unless you worship God, you're in trouble because you worship pretty much anything else and it will eat you alive. It's a very, very insightful comment. That there are many good things, but when they become the thing we worship, rather than the gift that we use in the light of the one that we worship, it all goes bad, it all goes wrong. It's like Turkish delight for Edmund. It's enticing, but it gets you into big trouble in the end. In drinking life-giving water, Jesus is inviting the Samaritan woman to reorientate her life and find satisfaction in him. Often working in the background like water does, not even aware. At other times, exciting, enticing, exhilarating, amazing. Bringing steadily, bit by bit, as we follow after this giver, our whole lives into sharp relief and light and color and vibrancy as a result. Final one of human needs, which I want to talk about today, is the desire for purpose or meaning. You and I all need a reason to get out of bed in the morning. It is Monday tomorrow. You have to get up. The way in which you get up will be correlated to the level of meaning that you have, the opportunity to contribute or to make a difference. It was the well-known author, doctor, and researcher, Atul Gawande, who decided in order to try and bring a sense of purpose to a nursing home that he would persuade the manager to import a menagerie of animals into the nursing home. I mean, I'm talking a serious menagerie. Not just cats and dogs, but parakeets, a colony of rabbits, and even a group of laying hens. The change in the nursing home was remarkable. There were old people in that nursing home who no longer bothered speaking, who started talking again and talking to the animals. There were those who were no longer recognized as being able to walk, who would walk to the nurse's station and say, I'd like to take that dog for a walk. Gurundi says, the, drug, the drugs administered in that nursing home were reduced by 40%. That deaths were reduced by 15% by a certain time, I assume. I'm not suggesting eternal life from animals. <laughs> but nonetheless, it made a significant difference. Here's what he said. The difference can be traced to the fundamental human need for a reason to live. Simply existing, being merely housed and fed and safe and alive seems empty and meaningless to us all. What more, is that we, what, what more is it that we need in order to feel that life is worthwhile? The answer is we all seek a cause beyond ourselves. And this woman who comes to avoid everybody at the height of the day is shooting back to her village and telling everyone, you've got to come and see this man I've met. She suddenly got a sense of purpose. Later in the passage, we didn't have time to read it. But Jesus says the Father is seeking worshippers. He's saying reorientate your life and you'll find all sorts of meaning emerge. The Latin for vacation is, literally means the inner whisper. 
And Luther used to talk about vocation as the inner whisper of God. You start drinking life-giving water on a regular basis, you'll find all sorts of whispers start to develop. And it's essentially not that you would become someone other than who you are, but that you become fully yourself. You become fully the person God has made you to be, to use your gifts, abilities, and talents to bring glory to him. It was John Coltrane, the great sax player, who wrote some of his best jazz music after he came to faith. Love Supreme was the soaring solo that he's known for. 20 minutes of sublime sax. He was known one time once he'd played that, and some would say the best that he ever played it, that he got off stage, and as he got off stage, he was heard to murmur the words, Nunc Dimittis. Father, let your servant now depart in peace. I have done everything I can. I've used my gifts to the best of my ability. Take me. Now that's what calling is. And that's what each of us gets to do. Not many of us here, I guess, play great saxophone. But all of us have gifts and abilities which God has given us to use. And it gives us purpose as we follow the one who gives us life. As we come into land, let me just make a comment on this. For many of us, we would say we've been drinking life-giving water for years. We know there's a well inside us or a spring inside us, but it's feeling like it's got a bit silted up. It's not quite as it was. How do we unblock the spring to keep it really flowing? Three suggestions just as we come in. I've got about four minutes, so here you go. Three suggestions in four minutes. Number one, Check your priorities and make sure that Jesus, the life giver, is center. You do not get life-giving water on the side. You can go to McDonald's and say, I'll have this, this, and I'll have this on the side. It does not work this way for life-giving water. That has got to be front and center. That has got to be top of the priority list. This is what really matters. When I go after this, I found now the pearl of great price. Everything else is sublimated to that. I go for this, and it brings you to life. And with that, my encouragement to you, my appeal to you, is make time to draw on the life of God. Make time to draw on the life of God. If we were speaking afterwards, and I would say to you, my problem is I'm so busy at the moment, I don't have time to eat or drink. You'd think I was mad. You'd think I've got a serious problem. And you would know I am not going to be around for very long if I do not eat or drink. And yet we somehow think we can have lots of spiritual life by just taking a quick snack every Sunday. I want to encourage you. If you were to say to me, I am too busy in my life to form a space, to have a regular habit of drawing on life-giving water, then you simply are mad. It's just, it's just as crazy as not having time for physical food. You need it if you're going to live, and if you're going to live fully alive, and if you're going to live with the life of God running through you. Maybe the band could come back, please. And finally, you need to share the life that you have with others. I know for me, I come alive inside when I share with others. We used to have, uh, in the complex that the church office is based in, opposite us, we used to have an entrepreneur there. And he created an app, and the app did very well. And uh, then he sold the app, and he made himself lots of money, and made his team lots of money, and they all had champagne and then disappeared. Hadn't seen them since. So I'm in the office one day this morning early and I'm praying. And he just walks into my office. 
just walks into the room. Because uh, he'd left a couple of things in his haste to stop working. He'd left a couple of things in our office. And he said, oh, he said, won't disturb you, won't take a minute. And he just sort of walked in. Well, I made the mistake of asking him a question. I said, nice to see you. Are you working at the moment? Well, he is now into artificial intelligence in a big way. And driverless cars are his thing. And within minutes, he was sitting down with me. He had his phone out, and he was showing me videos of the cars he was developing and providing opportunities. If you want to, David, you could really get involved with this. It's going to change the world. It could change your life. I thought, I am being evangelized <laughs> by someone who's excited in driverless cars. Well, I appreciate for some of you that's a big deal. But it's not life-giving water. And I watch him as he goes around and talks. The more he talks, the more he comes to life. Because actually, that is how we're wired. When we share with others the things that matter most to us, it reinforces their reality to us and brings us to life. So make it a priority. Make space in your schedule and share the water with others. For it is freely given. Let's stand together, shall we? Let's just pray and then we'll worship together. And I want to encourage us to just open our hearts and ask for that awareness again of life-giving water. Life-giving water is a momentary experience and it's a lifetime of drawing upon it. It's not one or the other, but it is the presence of God. The Holy Spirit is here. And Jesus stood up in John chapter 7, a few chapters later, and he said, Come to me, all who are thirsty, and I will give you life. I want to encourage us. Come to him, all you who are thirsty, and he will give us life, the good life, life in all its fullness, life and great joy. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for all that he taught us. Come. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit ChristChurchLondon.org.